But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Many are called, but few are chosen. This is how both readings end today, this Mass. So we should consider these very alarming words from our Lord. First of all, we consider where we're at. Today, it's Septuagesima. We're getting very close to Lent. But the time of Septuagesima is given to us from the Holy Mother of the Church for a very specific reason. Father Gear says, quote, The time of Septuagesima in a wider sense, that is, the days from Septuagesima until Easter, are accounted by all the liturgists of the Middle Age as a reminder of the seven, 70 years' captivity, during which the Jews sat on the banks of the rivers of Babylon and wept, mindful of their home in Zion. The Babylon exile is itself a figure of our life on earth, where we are sojourning at a distance from the face of the Lord, sighing for the perfect liberty in the heavenly Jerusalem of the children of God. All of these days on which the Alleluia is silent belong to the time of Septuagesima, which is intended in the first place to represent symbolically to us the Babylonian captivity and then furthermore the life of man as an exile in the world. Father Gear on his commentary on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. St. Teresa of Jesus also said that we should consider our time here on earth as a, a night spent in a bad inn. But so many do not consider that. So many look to this world for its pleasures and try to make their heaven here on earth. But our Lord is very clear that we cannot love both God and mammon. And so we are to also bear our crosses. And to understand this a little better, we turn to a great work, a great spiritual work written by St. Louis-Marie de Montfort. This great spiritual work would help us to understand, have a more profound understanding of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, a great love for it. This letter was something that he penned in, after, in 1714. This after being exiled for the second time. A first time he was exiled when, in 1708, he preached in the city of Nantes. And there he fought against the vices that were very prevalent at the time, all the disorders. And he sought to have them make reparation to the Sacred Heart. But the Jansenists would not have this. And they spoke against him, even passing calumny and attacking him personally. So he was exiled from that diocese. Again, in Rennes, he spoke again, and again the Jansenists attacked him. So he went off and made a retreat for eight days. He prayed, and he thought of the great passion of our Lord. And he wrote this letter to those who joined him in an association of the Friends of the Cross, those who wished to join our Lord in his sufferings. And he starts this letter with these words, Friends of the Cross, you are like crusaders united to fight against the world, not like religious who retreat from the world lest they be overcome, but like brave and valiant warriors on the battlefield who refuse to retreat or even yield an inch. Be brave and fight courageously. You must be joined together in a close union of mind and heart, which is stronger and far more formidable to the world and to hell than are the armed forces of a great nation 
to its enemies. Evil spirits are united to destroy you. You must be united to crush them. And then he makes a distinction between two groups. He speaks about those on the left who love the world and those on the right who are true friends of Christ and him crucified. On the left hand is the company of the world of the devil. This is far more numerous, numerous, more imposing and more illustrious, at least in appearance. Most of the fashionable people run to join it, all crowded together, although the road is wide, and it is, but it is continually being made wider than ever by the crowds that pour along it like a torrent. On the right-hand side, though, are those who call themselves friends of the cross. Quote, the little groups which follow Jesus speak about sorrow, penance, prayer, and indifference to worldly things. They continually encourage one another, saying, Now is the time to suffer, to mourn, to pray, to do penance, to live in retirement and poverty, to humble and mortify ourselves. For those who do not possess the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of the cross, do not belong to Him. We must be true images of Christ or be eternally lost. Have confidence, they say to each other. If God is on our side, within us, before us, who can be against us? He who is within is stronger than he who is in the world. And these are the words of those who are friends of the cross. And then he makes a clarification of those who make themselves to be as if they are friends of the cross. And he says, excluded then from this company of friends of the cross are those who take pride in their sufferings, the worldly wise, the intellectuals and the skeptics who are attached to their own ideas and puffed up with their own talents. Away from you, those endless talkers who make great show but produce nothing but vanity. Away from you, those so-called devout Catholics who in their pride display the self-sufficiency of Lucifer wherever they go, saying, I am not like the rest of other men, who cannot endure being blamed without making some sort of excuse, being attacked without answering back, being humbled without exalting themselves. St. Gregory, in speaking about the last gospel, the end passage of it, says, Many come to the faith, but few are brought into the heavenly kingdom. And many serve God with their tongue, but turn from him in their lives. So we know from the words of our Lord himself, unless we take up our cross daily, unless we take our cross daily, we cannot be called his disciples. So we have to follow the cross. We have to be true friends of the cross if we want to make it to heaven. St. Louis-Marie de Montfort then lays down 14 rules that we can follow. And we'll mention some of them here. First of all, is we must not do something wrong in order to bring about something good. Nor must we, without a special inspiration from God, do things badly so as to draw down ridicule upon ourselves. Rather, we ought to imitate our Lord who did all things well. Here we are not to make 
some sort of show, but we are to do our duties. And St. Louis Marie de Montfort says, says, if you fulfill your duties as well as you can, you will find no lack of opposition, criticism, and ridicule, which will be sent to you by your divine providence without your choosing or wanting it. Then he says that we are not to seek out particularly great sacrifices, scorn, and humiliations upon ourselves, but most of us should accept the ordinary crosses that God sends to us. We take advantage of those little sufferings, even more so than the great ones. He says, St. Louis de Montfort says, God considers not so much what we suffer as to how we suffer it. Bishop Sheen used to say a little poem about those three crosses that are on Calvary. He said, three crosses stand on Calvary's heights. One must be chosen, so choose aright. You must suffer like a saint or a repentant thief or like a reprobate in endless grief. We know we have to suffer, so we must seek to suffer well, united with Christ on the cross. And then we should pray for that wisdom, wisdom especially of the cross, so that the light of faith deepens our understanding of the cross of Christ and all the graces that come to it. Our salvation, after all, came from that cross. So we should not be like those proud and self-conceited churchgoers, he says, imagining that our crosses are heavy. They are proofs of our, that they are proofs of our fidelity and marks of God's exceptional love for you. This temptation arises out of spiritual pride, is most deceptive, subtle, and full of poison. And then rather, he says, you must believe first that your pride and sensitivity make you magnify splinters into planks, molehills into mountains, scratches into wounds, a passing word meaning nothing, into an outrageous insult and a cruel slight. Further, we should believe that the crosses God sends you are loving punishments for your sins rather than marks of God's special favor. We should believe that whatever cross or humiliation he sends you is exceedingly light in comparison with the number and greatness of your offenses, for you should consider your sins in the light of God's own holiness in the light of a God who died for you, and in light of everlasting hell for which we deserve. Then we should believe that the patience with which we bear our sufferings is tinged more with our own thought of natural and human motives, seeking sympathy, those complaints, or rather criticisms, of those who have done you an injury, expressed in such pleasant word and charitable manner. And about complaints, he says these words. He says that there are three kinds of complaints. The first that comes naturally and spontaneous. That is like when the groanings that arise from the soul when we are enduring, enduring a cross. And he says that there is no fault in this, provided that, as, I, as he has said, the heart is resigned to the will of God. The second kind of complaints is when we make known our ills to somebody who can give us some relief, and such as a doctor or a superior. And he says that there may be imperfection in this if we are too eager to tell our troubles, but there is no sin in it. 
But the other is the sinful complaining. When we criticize our neighbor, either to get rid of an evil which afflicts us or to take of revenge on him, when we willfully complain of what we suffer with impatience and murmuring. And he says this is sinful. But remember that we are to receive our crosses with great gratitude that God is giving us this great cross out of love. So we should also have love. And again, it's not an emotional kind of love. He makes a distinction again with the kind of love that we should have. And he says it's not an emotional kind of love. And he brings us the example of our Lord in the garden when he cried out to the Father, Father, let your will be done, not mine. That even though he was suffering this in his nature, his human nature, he still accepted the cross. So that emotional love won't be there. Sometimes the saints were given an overflow from their soul, but it came from their soul into their body. But more than not, we will be suffering emotionally from these crosses. But he says also it is not a rational love either, one which springs from the knowledge of how happy we shall be in suffering for God. He says that this rationale is not always necessary in order to suffer joyfully for God's sake. But he puts before our mind the great love that we are to have. What is needed is the love of the highest part of man, so that without any feeling of joy in the sense or pleasure in mind, we love the cross we are carrying by the light of pure faith. To take delight in it, even though the lower part of our nature may be in the state of conflict and disturbance, groaning and complaining, weeping and longing for relief. Here we say with our Lord, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. By accepting these crosses and thinking about our Lord, thinking about how much he suffered for us, there we will receive our strength. There we'll be, we'll be united to Christ and him suffering for us. And from there we will receive our reward the reward of being friends of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear those words, the words that we hear in the, in the gospel. Many are called, but few are chosen, because so many reject the cross that Christ has sent to them, Christ that he's given to us out of love. So when we contemplate these words, many are called, but few are chosen, we should also contemplate two other things. First of all, the eternal prize that's being offered to us. St. John Chrysostom said that what is our hiring but the wage of our engagement, the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life in heaven for all eternity, united with God. Something we should contemplate often. And then the second thing is the all-powerful hand of God will raise us up when we are carrying our cross. He will give us the strength. He himself promised, and he doesn't lie. He says, ask and you shall receive. Ask for the grace to bear the cross. Ask for the grace and you'll receive it. And you'll be able to carry that cross well. And he gave us a mother, a loving mother, On the cross, he gave us that mother so that we may have a great source 
to go to a great, a great uh, protection, great, uh, a great consolation. The Blessed Virgin Mother, Our Lady, who assisted St. John standing at the foot of the cross, who assisted St. Mary Magdalene also standing at the foot of the cross. Well, we'll end with the words from today's collect, the prayer of today's Mass. O Lord, we beseech you, graciously hear the prayers of your people, that we who are justly punished for our sins may be mercifully delivered for the glory of your name. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us.